0: and rely on his promises every day here's the message right okay so um we'll have make a start with the sermon now. okay so i think it'd be good just to just have a little time of prayer so let's just uh um, bring all this to god heavenly father god we just thank you so much for your word Father, we thank you for your church, for Jesus, for the, for the unity that we all have one with another. But Lord, it all comes down to your word, Lord God, where we find revelation of you and of Jesus. And Father, as we open up your word today, Father, I really pray that you would do something amazing in each one of our hearts, that the inner, the inner man would get um, excited, would get enlightened, The, the, the light would get switched on inside each one of us as we connect with you through your word today, as we think about the Last Supper, as we think about the elements of the bread and the wine and what you're teaching us through these two distinctly different things. Father, I just pray that our faith would be ignited to just understand more about you, more about Jesus, more about what he's done on the cross and for us to be able to appropriate into our own lives more, and more of you. Thank you, Heavenly Father God. Amen. Okay, so um, what we're going to be talking about today is the Last Supper, and in, as a result of that, the communion that we all celebrate regularly together. Um, this first happened, um, obviously, just before Jesus was. going to be crucified. It's that poignant last meal that he shares with his disciples. And it's actually part of the Jewish feast of the Passover, which I'm sure a lot of you are aware of already. And um, Jesus was celebrating this poignant meal, and he draws out certain things during this meal. So let's just read together um, a passage from Matthew that puts the context of this sermon. As they were eating the Passover meal, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, as I said, this is part of the Jewish feast of Passover and it was instigated by God for the Jews to remember that time when they were taken from slavery in Egypt and were removed miraculously with all of those um, things we read in Exodus, the plagues and then the Red Sea parting and all of the Jewish army being destroyed. This amazing deliverance that the Jewish nation experienced, God did not want them to forget. And he instigated this special meal once a year, um, the Passover meal. And Jesus is moving on the back of this meal to draw out something that is um, even deeper for um, us as Christians today. During the meal, um, they used different things throughout the meal. God gave them different things to do to remind them of what had happened in Egypt. For instance, they ate parsley, but they dipped it in salt water to remind them before they ate it. They dipped it in salt water so it, it didn't taste like parsley. It tasted, um, you know, salty and not so pleasant. And it reminded them of the tears that they'd shed in Egypt, and they also, another part of the meal was they ate bitter herbs. Um, I think it was grated horseradish. And you didn't need much of the grated horseradish to get into your mouth before, again, you were, your eyes were smarting. And it was to remind them of the bitterness of the slavery that was in Egypt. And, you know, in the Old Testament, we read about these feasts and... Um, um, things that were sacrificial things that were done in the Jewish nation and they are obviously really important for the Jewish nation and for the Jewish religion and we're not belittling that. But the Bible also says in the New Testament that often these feasts were shadows about Jesus. A lot of them have entwined in them like a thread something that is about the Lord Jesus and his work on the cross for us. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at some of these shadows that came out of this Passover meal. Now, Jesus didn't highlight the parsley, and he didn't highlight the horseradish, but he did highlight two elements of this meal. He highlighted the bread and the wine. And in Luke's account of this meal, this event, he said, "'Do this in remembrance of me.'" So this is something like the Jews have kept this cedar meal, this Passover meal, all down the centuries. Jesus is calling us today as his church to continue this, to continue this remembrance of him by celebrating the, the our covenant meal, the, the, the bread and the wine, which we're going to do later today. And I know we all do this already, but I think we're going to see today there's incredible significance in these two elements. The New Testament church were obedient. They did exactly what Jesus said, and it says in Acts 2 that they were meeting daily in the temple, picking up on what Tracy was saying to us, that iron was sharpening iron every day in the temple. They were going from house to house, breaking bread with gladness and singleness of heart. So it was the sort of thing where it was far more informal than what we have today. We formalized everything, haven't we, into our religious systems. But you know, this meal that I'm encouraging us all to partake of, today should be almost part of our daily living part of your meal at the in the evening just break bread and you know it doesn't have to be wine it can be water it's just commemorating what Jesus has done so I'd like to start first of all with the wine and the significance of the wine reminding us here then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying drink from it all of you So this is something that Jesus says for us to all do, all right? If you believe in him, if you're part of his family, this is something he wants you to actively engage in. You can't drink by accident, can you? You have to pick the glass up, you have to swallow, you have to engage with it. And Jesus is encouraging us to actively engage with this cup and what it represents, He says, he goes on to say, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You know, as remembering again, the context of this in which Jesus said it, he was saying it in the middle of the Passover. I mean, the Jews were very much aware of the old covenant, of the Mosaic covenant, and all of the conditions that that put upon them. And Jesus is saying today that he's instigating a new covenant And Hebrews talks about it being a better covenant, made on better promises. Um, And the amazing thing about this covenant is what we're going to see is it doesn't just cover sin, but it actually removes it completely. And I'm going to be developing that in a little bit more. It says it's for the remission of sins. Um, The old covenant just covered sins, but Jesus completely removes them. Let's look at that in a little bit more detail now. Going back to something that we hardly ever look at, actually. I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on this. (laughs) So um, I hope you um, get something out of it, because I certainly did. And it's going back to Leviticus 16, okay? So if you've got a Bible, you can open it up. Um, And it's about these two um, goats. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's about the sin goat and the scapegoat. Yeah? And it's, it, this event happened just once a year. It was at the Day of Atonement. And it was this time when the Jewish nation had a day of prayer and fasting and quietness before God, a very somber day because it was the day in which their sins were covered for that year. So can you imagine it? Can you imagine doing all the things wrong in that year and having this sense of guilt building up as the year goes on? Perhaps you'd lied. Perhaps you'd stolen something. Perhaps you'd done a a, a naughty trade with someone and you'd stolen effectively from them by doing dishonest trade. And all these things had built up in your conscience and this was your day. (laughs) this was the day where the high priest was going to go in and all of that was going to get covered for another year it was like the page turned fresh start okay and the way it happened was there were these two goats and I've got a got to read a little bit okay because it's quite a long passage Um, but the significance is and I want you to bear in mind is that both the goats represent what Jesus did for us It isn't one goat or the other goat, it's both of them. It's two aspects of the work of Christ. So it says here, Aaron must take from the community of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. He is to cast sacred lots to determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to the Lord and which will carry the sins of the people into the wilderness. A crimson thread is tied round the neck of the goat for the sin offering, and another crimson thread around the horns of the scapegoat. Aaron slaughters the first goat as a sin offering for the people and carries its blood behind that inner curtain. Now, if you're aware of the structure of the tabernacle, there was the main room, and then there was a curtain, and behind the curtain is the Holy of Holies the really intimate place with God, which we can now go to. This was just a picture of our relationship with God. No one could go in there. Aaron could only go in once a year. Aaron only once a year. And then he had to do special things, um, you know, put blood on the altar and and sprinkle blood around, which I haven't gone into. But it was a place where God literally communed with his people. He literally came down in a cloud above the Ark of the Covenant and and the mercy seat, which was on the top there so Aaron is going in he's first done some cleansing which I haven't gone into as I said and he carries the blood of this goat behind that inner curtain and he sprinkles it over this gold plate the mercy seat and through this process he makes atonement he covers for the sins of the people they're not dealt with the blood just covers it and the people have this sense of forgiveness and he does it for the entire tabernacle. He sprinkles blood everywhere. And then the second goat comes into the frame. Aaron lays both his hands on the head of the live goat and he confesses over it all the wickedness, rebellion and sins of the people of Israel. And so if you had done something wrong that year, that's when your sin left you and went into the goat. In this way, he transfers the people's sins into the goat, into the head of the goat. And then a man, especially chosen for the task, drives the goat into the wilderness. And as the goat goes into the wilderness, it carries all the sins of the people into a desolate land. Now, you might be saying, why is she going through all this this morning? Good question. But these two goats are a wonderful picture of what Jesus has done on the cross and embody the sense of what's happened in the cup, the wine, that part of the, the um, communion meal. You see, Hebrews 9.22 tells us that without blood being shed, there is no forgiveness for sins. You know, we sang today about holy, holy, holy. And, you know, we like to minimalize this, but God is incredibly holy. He is the holiest thing in the whole of the universe, the holiest person in the whole of the universe. There is no sin in him. There, it, it says there's no shadow of turning in him. He is pure light. He never has a wrong motive. He never does a selfish thing. We, we have the most, the, the, the sense of intrinsic goodness is our God. It's a difficult thing to take on board isn't it because you know we're so aware of you know every even the the nicest person we know you know we're all flawed you know the best person we know is flawed and yet we're talking about Jesus who is God as well and God the Father and the Holy Ghost as being beyond anything that we can compare them to they are exquisite they are perfect and yet God um, wants to know us in all of our imperfection. And the mechanism that he has chosen to do that is, well, it says in Romans 6 that, you know, um, the wages of sin is death, that if we were left to ourselves, we'd have a lovely life, we'd live out our lives, and then we'd die. And that would be the end. But God didn't want that to be the, 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 the way it was for us. So blood has to be shed Life has to pay for life. There's justice as well in God. And here, God has provided an opportunity for us to take on the shed blood of Jesus. Sorry, I'm not explaining this very well. Let me go back a bit. The goat was shed, his blood was shed for the covering of their sins. Jesus came and died for us and he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. That's in Hebrews 9.22 if you want to look it up. So one goat becomes the offering for sin, the payment for that sin, and is killed by the high priest and his blood put on the mercy seat on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And in fact, you know, this is all a picture of heaven. You know, if you want to go into this in detail and read Hebrews, it says that the the one on the earth, the tent on the earth, the tabernacle, where they took this blood is just a picture of what's in heaven. There's actually a tabernacle in heaven. There's actually an Ark of the Covenant. There's actually a mercy seat. And it says Jesus went up there and he put his own blood on the mercy seat. These things are so deep and yet they're so profound. But Jesus is also the scapegoat as well, the one that goes off into the wilderness. Remember, he's got the whole sins of the people on his head. They've all been confessed over him. And when the scapegoat goes off into the wilderness... So all of those sins go off. And this is what happened with Jesus. Today, we don't have to have this sense of guilt and condemnation. That's the amazing thing. Not only have our sins been forgiven through and paid for through what Jesus did for us on the cross, but it says they've been removed from us. So whatever might have happened to us in our lives, things we might have done... Stuff we would change if we had the chance to do it again. Things we regret, we've all got them. Life we lived before we became Christians perhaps, or even stuff we've done as Christians. There's a wonderful news. Our scapegoat has taken them away into the wilderness. There's scriptures in Old and New Testament to support this. Psalm 103, 12 says, as far as east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You know, today, people of God, we have a clean slate the page is turned every day for us. For the Jews, the page was turned once a year. They got a clean slate. We're continually cleaned. It's like we're standing under a waterfall of the blood of Jesus, and He's constantly cleansing us. He's constantly forgiving us. He's constantly removing stuff from us. So don't walk around with condemnation. Don't walk around with a sense of guilt and regret because Jesus paid a really high price for you not to have that. Um, Walk free. In Hebrews 10, 17, it says that we just don't need to, it's not only us that this affects, it affects God. It says, their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. So it's not just we have a sense of freedom from the bad choices we've made, but God's not even got a list of them. (laughs) You know, um, I don't know um, if you know this, but when we were, Dave and I were younger, we used to go door-knocking and give out tracts, and one of them was called Knowing... um that, you know it had a picture I can't remember what it's called now but it had a picture of a like a cinema screen and in heaven um, everybody was resurrected from the dead and they stood before this cinema screen and then all of their life was played out before them and you know obviously there's not such great things on some people's cinema screens and yet for the Christian that is not going to happen <laughs> you know literally our sins have been forgiven dealt with and taken away by Jesus you know, it's absolutely mind-blowing to take this on board. It's something we have to really sort of take in and think about. Okay. So in the New Testament, we find that our position is totally different now. When we're in Christ, we, are, we inherit certain new things. And one of them is that we become the righteousness of God in Christ. So let's have a look at a couple of scriptures here that um, really sums up what happened with, on the cross with Jesus. And it is embodied in the cup. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Like the scapegoat, Jesus became Sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So as I just said, when we're in Christ, all of our sins are forgiven and they're forgotten. Um, They're removed from us. And we're the righteousness of God. I was saying earlier that God is perfectly holy. There is no blemish in him. And God amazingly sees us in the same way. We don't feel righteous, do we? We don't feel perfect. We're so conscious of our own mistakes. But when we take on board this fact that God sees us as perfectly righteous, as perfect in his sight, without blemish, like a spotless lamb, like a perfect puppy, or a you know, you know, perfect newborn baby, that is the sort of perfection that God sees you and me with. We're not perfect, but he sees us that way because of Jesus. And then, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Okay, that's where we are. We are holy and without blame before him in love. So I don't know if, how you deal with all of that, but. You know, very often we we don't feel like that every day and the Bible encourages us in 2 Corinthians 10 to cast down those imaginations and those thoughts that come up in our mind when we don't see ourselves as righteous, when we don't see ourselves as without blame before him. I'm not advocating that we go out and sin because we've got this grace that God will always forgive us and it'll all be okay. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, you know, we're encouraged, as I said in that first um, passage in 1 John, that we all try and live a holy life now. But you know, we need to weed out of our thought life those negative, drawing-down thoughts that we're no good, that we're rubbish, or you know, that you know, God can't use us, that we're unclean, or you know, you know, the sort of stuff that you get in your head. Well, that's not what it's about. That's not true. Because of what Jesus has done, you are a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I'm a new creation. And that's what we need to renew our minds to, that Jesus has done an amazing work on the cross. Our sins are forgiven and our sins are removed. Okay, so number two, the bread. So when Jesus picked up the bread during that Passover meal, he probably prayed the traditional blessing, which is, blessed be you, Lord our God, King of the world, who brings bread out of the earth. And what Jesus did at his own Passover feast with his disciples, is he took the bread, blessed it with that blessing probably, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Now, You know, the the blessing that he would have said um, that God brings bread out of the earth is actually quite interesting, isn't it? Because Jesus is the bread of life. God brought him into our earth through that virgin birth. He is the living bread that came down from heaven. And Jesus is identifying himself, in fact, he's identifying particularly his body with the bread. And his body was broken. Again, this isn't passive. He says, take and eat. And this word take is lambano in the Greek. And it it means to take with um, intent. It means to hold on to. It means to engage with, to understand the significance of something. And today I want to um, unpack for you the significance of the bread You see, why was Jesus scourged? Why was his body beaten? Why was he tormented? Why did he have to go through that anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane? There isn't a precedent in the Old Testament sacrifices for this. The goat wasn't tormented. The goat wasn't tortured. The goat was just simply killed and the blood put on the mercy seat. No, with Jesus, there was an additional dimension going on here because we know he went through incredible suffering for us. He, was, he first of all had the anguish in the garden where he shed blood. He then was ridiculed by all of the, um, the guards in the, um, the high priests and the Herod's palace and in the Roman um, arena. And they mocked him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They gave him a reed and, you know, put a robe on him and mocked him as king of the Jews. He was lashed with the, um, the whip, which has these um, stones and thorns embedded in it. Um, the 40 lashes. In fact, his, his back was so broken open, there weren't stripes down his back. It was one stripe. It was all open and bleeding flesh. And then, of course, he went to the cross, the most gruesome of deaths. He wasn't just killed. He was killed and his body was mutilated. In fact, it says in Isaiah 52, that in verse 14, that people were astonished when they looked at him. They were astonished. His appearance was so marred, he didn't even look human anymore. His form didn't look like someone who was part of mankind. Okay, so I want to just go into now why that happened, okay? And the understanding why that happened to Jesus and why God allowed that to happen is really quite profound, and it's something that I came across about 40 years ago, actually. My Christianity had been along a tram line at that point, and then God opened all of this up to me, and it, it literally changed the way I saw God, and also the way I, you know, just sort of, in, you know, interacted with him, and, and the way I received from him. Okay, now, I haven't got time today. You probably notice this sermon's going on quite a bit, but you really need to go home this afternoon if you would for me and read Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 12, the whole of that chapter. Would you do that this afternoon? Get yourself a cup of tea, go and find somewhere quiet, and just read Isaiah 53 because that—that's the whole explanation of the cross. Um, but I'm just picking out two verses today because it links to the bread and what the bread means, the body. What is it about Jesus' body? Why was he tortured like this? And it's verses four and five. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and with his wounds or stripes, we are healed. Now, that's the New King James, and there's various translations, but what I'm going to do today is I'm going to put in um, the meaning of all those words. So first of all, verse four, surely he's borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Well, the actual Hebrew means, and remember this, Jesus is bruised, afflicted, and tormented. Truly, he has lifted and carried away our disease, sickness, maladies and born on our behalf as a heavy load our anguish, affliction and pain. So this is, the goat couldn't do that, but Jesus could. There's a dimension to his suffering that is not often talked about. It says here that he takes away our disease, our sickness, our maladies. He bears up and carries as a heavy load, anguish, things that have troubled us, traumas in our lives that have happened to us, affliction and pain. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. When people looked at it, they thought that You know, God was punishing him, basically, for his blasphemy, because he said he was God. And the Jewish religion, the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, said that God did things. And he did. He made people sick when they were sinning. Um, Things happened to people. There was a consequence. But the new covenant is a better covenant. And God doesn't deal with us like that anymore. In fact, he's dealing with it now on the cross. He's putting all that punishment on Jesus that we should have had. Verse five, he was pierced for our transgressions. That word pierced means he was literally bored through. His flesh was bored through. And our transgressions is our rebellion and our sin. So Jesus is literally, his skin was pierced for our rebellion and sin. He was crushed. That word means he was beaten to pieces, beaten to a pulp when um one um, explanation said for our evils perversities and faults this is what Jesus went through for us and the chastisement for our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed and that word peace there means health welfare prosperity even happiness those were the things that Jesus has bought for you through the chastisement that he went through, the discipline, the punishment that he went through, and by his stripes, the wounds, the black and blue wounds, we are healed. Now, I, you know, I believe that God allowed Jesus to be brutalized like this, so that we who still live in this world with our normal mortal bodies, we haven't got our glorified bodies yet. We need an extra tool to overcome the effects of Adam's sin. You see, when Adam sinned, the law of sin and death came into action. We're all, we were all in that. It talks about it in Hebrews, uh, Romans 8, if you want to read about it. Uh, the, the whole of our planet, it's like there it, it was a, a paradigm shift. And everything fell. All the nasty things came in you know, no one, no animals scavenged and murdered another animal. There wasn't any sickness. There wasn't any disease in the Garden of Eden. There wasn't any death. It was God's paradise of perfection. But when Adam sinned and disobeyed God, then it actually says Satan became the God of this world. And he is the thief that comes to steal, kill and destroy. And sin distorted God's creation, distorted the perfection. And we were all born into that that place, the law of sin and death. You sin and you die. But when Jesus came, and if you read in Romans 8, it says that he instigated a new law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. God is here to give us life. And so on the cross, God allowed Jesus to go through this suffering to impart life to his his people. No more do we need the Mosaic covenant of you sin and you're punished. You know, sickness is a sign you've sinned. That's what the Jews believed and what they saw happen in their lives. You know, when Jesus said to the, I think it was he said to one of the people who had leprosy, go and sin no more. You know, that their sin, that what they were going through was a consequence of their sin. But God broke that cycle here. And Jesus took all of that. He took all of our, the punishment for all of our sins and the consequences for our sins in His body. And so now we can go to God, not arrogantly, not presumptuously, but just with faith that He wants us well. Obviously, He uses many ways to do that. We have our wonderful medical profession now, doctors that help us get well, stay well, and we can help the process by not being stupid with our bodies. But God wants us well. And God still does miraculous things. I've seen people healed. We've had the testimony in the prayer meeting this morning of someone whose daughter was about to die she had three terminal illnesses, including cancer, and that girl did not die because the mother had faith and God intervened. You know, I've seen people's legs grow, backs healed, all sorts of amazing things happen. Someone healed a multiple um, uh, uh, arthritis thing. Uh, You know, God does it miraculously sometimes. Sometimes he does it through uh, more slow processes. But God is in the business of healing people. (laughs) And by his stripes, we have been healed. And I just want to say that as we partake of the wine and the bread... We need to discern that these two do different things. The wine is about our righteousness. It's about the sin being removed. It's about the scapegoat going off, taking our sin away. And the bread is about his body. It's about his broken body. And that is for our healing and our restoration. You know, some people, some denominations do not agree with me at all. (laughs) And I'm sure you know that. But they say it's purely spiritual. Isaiah 53 is purely spiritual. The healing is spiritual. But I just don't think that that can be supported by the New Testament. If you look at Matthew 8, 17, Matthew refers to Isaiah 53, this exact scripture, And he says that when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He cast out the spirits with a word. He healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So Matthew reinterprets Isaiah 53. And he replaces the griefs and sorrows with infirmities and sicknesses. This is about physical healing, folks. Jesus showed us that when he walked on the planet, healing people for three years. And in Acts 10:38, further evidence, Jesus, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost, with power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And as I've already mentioned, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 2, we're now in the law of the spirit of life and in verse 11 of Romans 8 it says the Holy Ghost quickens makes alive our mortal bodies you know when you're born again the Holy Ghost lives in you and that resurrection life comes up in you when you come up against sickness we all do at times we live in a fallen world but we can use our faith to draw out the resurrection life from within us and then in James 5 it says is anyone sick don't stay sick call for the elders, they'll pray over you, anoint you with oil, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and raise him up. And whereas are a church commanded to go out and lay hands on the sick and expect them to recover. So to conclude, I would just like to say, let us raise our faith, our expectation for healing in all its forms, emotional healing, physical healing, healing from trauma, as well as physical healing. And, you know, when we, we, tr- we take it on trust, don't we, that our sins are forgiven, because we can't see them being forgiven, but because it says in the Bible, our sins are forgiven, we just believe it and just live in that truth. But when it says, by his stripes, you have been healed, because our arm still hurts, we, <laughs> we don't really, we think that can't be true, Okay. So somehow we need to... Um, There's probably another sermon in that one, actually. <laughs> I won't be here till four o'clock. Um, we, can, we have to somehow join those two together. And as I say, that's another sermon. But just quickly in my own, in my own life, I found that I just need to speak the word over things. If, I'm, if I see something's out of kilter, I speak the word over it. I'm, obviously, you go to the doctor and you can sort things out that way. But see God's wisdom, but God's word is powerful. Speak his word over it. Okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to actually break bread together. And um, we're going to break, so if you'd like to get your little communion um, cups ready. And I'd like us to do it together and take some time over it. So I don't mean like 15 minutes, but let's just not just gobble it down, okay? Let's just spend a minute or so with each element, I know this has been a difficult sermon, and um, perhaps it's introduced some ideas which you know you haven't really processed yet. So I understand all that, but I just want you to think about this piece of bread you've got in your hand, um, and remember that Jesus broke this bread in the Passover meal, and he did that deliberately. He was trying to make the point that his body was going to be broken. Now, if that didn't have significance, he wouldn't have done it. And I've tried to unpack for you today a bit about what is behind that. So, you know, there might be people in the room here today or people online listening to me who are broken in some way. You might be broken emotionally or you might have a need in your body. But Jesus died for that to be healed. Okay, so... Just take this moment as you eat it, and I'll just pray for us all to just energize your faith to receive an impartation of grace for meeting that need, okay? God's with us here today, and He's with you at home. He's there on your sofa with you, and He can minister to you just as powerfully as He can minister to people here in the room. So just take your bread, I'm going to go and grab mine in a minute, and, and, and just as you break it, think of his body being broken for you, and just say, you know, a little simple prayer in your heart and mind of the area that you want him to meet your need in. We're going to have prayer ministers over here by the windows at the end of the service, so if you'd like someone to just pray with you and agree with you, then, you know, just quietly over there in, in privacy, you can talk to someone, and they'll be praying with you. Let's just pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And as we've rehearsed today, the trauma and the horror of his death, Lord God. Father, we don't want that to go wasted because we don't understand what it was about. Lord, forgive us if we've not appropriated all that you have given for us. Help us today to see afresh that Jesus's body was broken for our healing in the broadest sense of that term. Father, move today through your elements of your Holy Communion. Move today through the bread as people eat and as they drink, Lord God. Just your, I pray your Holy Ghost would just drop onto each soul in the sound of my voice and meet every need, Lord. My faith is for every need to be met, Lord God, in a supernatural way or a natural way, however you want to do it, Father God. But I'm praying for every need to be met, in Jesus' name and for his honour and glory. Amen. Let's meet together.